Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. Today we're wrapping up this series we've been in called, and the hits just keep on coming, and I, I feel like I need to warn you about today's message, and I want to explain why, because I've gotten, as I've been preparing for this, I've gotten some really mixed feedback for today's message. Um, so we shoot the Journey at Home version of these messages uh, a little bit in advance, a couple weeks, a few weeks in advance, and uh, Jordan helps shoot that, and then we have a volunteer who comes in, just gives a ton of time. He's amazing. He comes in, he helps shoot all this, edit all this, so the online version is there. We're so grateful for him. He's incredible at what he does. And so I was shooting this message, and they had me shoot like a 15-second like a teaser, and then stop, and then shoot the actual message, okay? So I shot the 15-second teaser, which, you know, I kind of teased out the whole intro of this message in that, and I got done. And this volunteer looks at me, and I don't, a lot of you would know him, so I don't want to tell you who he is because I, I just don't want to embarrass him. But so I'll make up an imaginary name. Let's just call him Michael Dale, okay? Let's just call him Michael Dale, for example. He has a, you know, an imaginary brother called Aaron Dale who's named after Anna and Elsa's kingdom. That's how so it's, I put all this together, okay, in my head. So anyway, so this volunteer looks at me, Michael does, imaginary name, and he says, and he says to me, um, when I do the teaser, he looks at me and he says, that is so depressing. And I thought, well, that is not exactly the angle I was shooting for with this message, right? So that got me a little worried. So, you know, I went ahead and shot the depressing message. Congratulations, you're here today, so you're not having to watch it online. So I shot that depressing message, and then some time passed, and I kept thinking about it. And um, on Friday morning, I'm driving the kids to school, and Ellie, my daughter, looks at me, and we do not... Listen, we do not have these conversations all the time. I don't want to make it sound like we do. This rarely happens. But for some reason, she looked at me and she said, Dad, what are you talking about on Sunday? I was shocked she even cared, I'm going to be honest. So I thought, I can't tell her my little teaser because she'll be depressed all day. And she'll tell me how bad it is, and I don't need to hear that again. So I went to the end of the message, and I said, well, you know, here's what I'm eventually trying to get across. And I explained to her I'm going to talk about the end of the message. And she said, Dad, that's awesome. That's going to help so many people. And I looked back at her and said, Ellie, any chance you could shoot videos on Tuesdays? At... <clears throat> I'm going to work that out later. So, so I tell you all of that because, hang with me, the first part of this message, a message apparently is really depressing, and I get that, but hang with me all the way to the end, all right, because we get to the end. Hopefully, it's going to be helpful. Here is the thing. All of us go through seasons that are tough, don't we? We've been talking about this the last few weeks. We go through these seasons where it's one problem after another, where it just feels like the hits keep on coming, one thing after another after another. And all of us, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. All of us, we're, we've got way more in common than we have differences. And one of the things that's true about all of us is when we get in a season of difficulty, we all want this word right here. We all want relief, don't we? We want the pain to go away and the problem to be solved. That's all we care about. We want the problem to be solved. I don't care how it gets solved. I want it to get solved. And then I want the pain to go away. I don't want to have to go through the pain anymore. That's all any of us are looking for. And the longer the pain endures, the longer the season of suffering or challenge or difficulty, you know, or discouragement, the longer it goes on, um, the less rational we become. It's true for all of us. The less rational we become and the more reactionary we become. And all I mean by that is we'll start doing crazier and crazier things 
in order to find relief. We've all done this. And Christians, I just want to, if you're not Christian, I'll admit this up front. We are the worst about this because we believe God can fix our problems and God can take away our pain, which is absolutely true. But we also assume God will fix our problems and take away our pain, which is not true necessarily. But we think they're both true. And so when we try to get God to, you know, fix a problem, to provide the relief, and he doesn't provide the relief, we get really upset. We get really disappointed with God. Next thing you know, we're angry and we're upset at God for not doing something that we wanted him to do. And so we get very irrational. And you see people who are Christians who just walk away from church, you know, they walk away from faith sometimes because God didn't fix a problem that they prayed about and that they asked God over and over to fix. But we've all been there. And we all know what it's like to wonder, well, where's God? And why is he doing this? Why is he letting this happen? And why is this ha- I've been a good person, you know. Why is, why is this going on? However you feel about all of that, we all ask generally the same questions, trying to figure it out. And they're good questions to ask. But today I want to ask a little bit of a different question. And this is the depressing part, okay? The different question I want to talk about today is what do you do if this season never ends for you? So what do you do if you lose? What do you do if you pray or pray and pray or you try to, you know, do the right things and be good and live good? What do you do if you do all of those things and nothing ever changes and prayers never get answered and your current situation is one that is not going to have a happy ending? The only good news I can give you about that is if you're in one of those seasons, you're in really good company because this has been happening throughout human history. And it certainly happened to the early first century followers of Jesus. They face this over and over and over again. And I'll show you the example, an example of how this played out in the early days. And if you grew up in a church setting or you grew up around Christians who said, oh, if you just have enough faith, if you just believe, you know, good things happen to good people and God takes care of good people. If, if you were told any of that, this just kind of bursts the bubble on all that. It's not true. That was not the experience of any of the early first century followers of Jesus. Let me just remind you, all but one of Jesus' you know, closest disciples other than Judas. So out of the other 11, all but one of them died a martyr's death. I mean, they they were as you know, close to Jesus as you could be, and bad things still happen. So that's just part of life. It is. We live in a broken world. It's just part of life. But this, they experienced this early on, and this example will be a great illustration for all of us of what's going on and you know, what you do when you lose. So to give you a little backstory, if you're not familiar with this, when Jesus left the earth, the early church, the early movement of Jesus' followers, it was just a handful, and it was like 120 at the start. And then it started growing rapidly by the thousands. And it just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And it's right there in Jerusalem. It's right under the noses of the people who had Jesus crucified because they were trying to end the movement. So it's really ticking all of them off, but, but it's growing, and nothing seems to stop it from growing. And there was a guy who was not one of Jesus' original disciples, but there was a guy who was at the, on the front lines, if you will, of all of this rapid growth with the early church. His name was Stephen. Stephen was this highly respected guy. Uh, People within Jerusalem absolutely loved him. Uh, According to the account that Luke writes when he writes the the account that we call Acts, which is just the history of the early church, according to Luke, as he interviewed people, he's like, I couldn't find anybody who said a bad thing about Stephen. They just had so much respect for him. Well, Stephen's one of the visible faces, if you will, in these early days. And the we get an amber alerts. Is that what that is? It's uh, Mike Dale put an APB out for me. That's what he just did. <laughs> Knew I shouldn't have brought his name up. Anyway, so, so the, um, Stephen, he is, uh, 
he's visible to everybody in Jerusalem. And the people who had Jesus killed, well, they're not happy with everything that's going on. And so it's really easy to put a target onto Stephen, right? And that's what happens. They cook up this reason to arrest him. They make up these false charges against him. They have him arrested. And Stephen is brought in front of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is the ruling religious body in Jerusalem. So that's the the Jewish version of politics in Jerusalem, if you will. And then there's the Roman version, which controls everything. But this Jewish version works alongside the Roman version. The Jewish version, the Sanhedrin, they're the people who had Jesus ultimately killed, okay? Crucified on a Roman cross. They cooperated with the Romans in doing this. And so now Stephen is standing in front of the very people who had Jesus arrested and crucified. Same people. So he knows what they're capable of. And they begin to talk to him about what he's doing, and they begin to talk to him about all the challenges, you know, you know, they want him to stop, and they make threats, and all of this stuff. And Stephen has two options. Stephen can go, you know what, I love what you guys are doing for the country, you know, we're really appreciative, okay, I'll quiet down about Jesus, he could have done that, but he does not. Instead, Stephen takes a very, very different approach. Some might call it, you know, from the outside, you might say it's almost an irresponsible approach because Stephen decides to go full-on honest with these guys. He's not going to back down from his position at all. And you can read the entire, you know, speech, if you will, that Stephen gives them in Acts 7, but I want to read you just a part of it, okay, to give you a sense of the feel of what Stephen does with them. So here's what he says to them. He looks at these guys who killed Jesus and he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised, which doesn't really translate to us. But this was very offensive. Let me see if I can explain it. So when I was a teenager living here in Murray, I played a lot of pickup ball out on the outdoor courts at Murray State. And they're still there. It's the asphalt blacktop courts. Uh, the wellness center wasn't there at the time, but the wellness center's over there near now. So I would go out there a lot and I'd play pickup ball. And there'd be some great games out there. Some of you who've been around here a while may remember Willis Cheney. He played at Murray High when I was in high school. And so we played pickup ball a lot. We always found ourselves guarding each other. And then every now and then there was this college guy who would come out and play by the name of Popeye Jones. He wasn't very good, but he was out there, you know. Popeye was amazing. Popeye's when I learned a couple of things playing pickup ball out there with those guys. Number one, I learned I will never be a Division I athlete. That was obvious pretty quickly. Um, but the second thing I learned was I learned all the etiquette of trash talk. So there is a lot of etiquette to trash talk. And I, um, I enjoyed trash talking. I'll leave it at that. So... There's a lot of etiquette to it. You can say a lot of things when you're on those courts, and it's perfectly fine. I'll tell you what you can't do. You just can't bring somebody's mama into it. That is where you cross the line. You bring somebody's mama into it, you know, your mama's so ugly, and you are in big trouble. There's a fight's going to break out. Well, in the first century, um, let me tell you what was so offensive to them. They would not do your mama's so ugly jokes. They would do your daddy's so uncircumcised jokes. That's what ticked them off. In the first century, Jews. I'm just telling you, you did not want to go there. So I'm telling you that because when Stephen looks at them, he says, oh, your, your hearts, your ears are just so uncircumcised. I mean, it is so offensive. It infuriates all of these Jewish religious leaders who are listening. You couldn't have said anything meaner, but he doubles down. He goes on, okay? So he continues, says, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit, which was his way of saying you're always on the wrong side of God. You guys claim you follow God and you know God and that your whole point is to help the whole nation follow God. Y'all are so off. You're always on the wrong side of God. And then he, then he gets into all their ancestral history. He says, was there ever a prophet that your ancestors didn't persecute? I mean, all these people came along, tried to help our nation follow God, and your ancestors, they would fight against them. He continues. He says, they even killed those who predicted the coming 
of the righteous ones. So he's talking about the prophets who predicted Jesus would one day come. And then he gets personal again. He goes back and he says, and now you, you, he's pointing his finger at him, you have betrayed and murdered Jesus. You who've received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. I mean, you couldn't be more direct. You couldn't be more blunt. And if you're, you know, on the outside, maybe you're reading this thinking, okay, well, Surely God's going to reward Stephen for his courage, for his honesty, for his bravery, right? Surely he's going to, you know, step in and do something miraculous and prove to all of these guys that Stephen's right, you know, and Jesus did rise from the dead. But that is not what happens. As you continue to read the story, you find this happens instead. At this, at Stephen's insults, if you will, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city. And they began to stone him, which causes us all to go, wait a minute, God. But, but these people, Stephen, all these people, they're trying to spread your message. You're trying to make sure everybody knows that Jesus rose from the dead. He was who he claimed to be. God, where are you? Why wouldn't you reward him? Why wouldn't you step in? Why wouldn't you answer the prayer? Don't you know, don't you know all the other Jewish you know, leaders and people who are part of the early church? Don't you know they're all back praying, God, please release Stephen? And it happened sometimes when they prayed. I mean, it happened to Peter, and Peter got miraculously rescued out of prison. So it's like, they're praying and praying and praying. Why, why wouldn't God answer that prayer? Why would he let Stephen lose here? It just raises all kinds of questions. And then Luke, who wrote this account for us, gives us what seems like just an offhanded, uh, ir- irrelevant kind of fact. He says, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. What's Saul have to do with it? Well, as you'll see at the end, Saul ends up having a lot to do with it. But things go from bad to worse for Stephen while they were stoning him. This is amazing. Here was Stephen's response. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Because I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to be rescued by you. It's almost like Stephen wasn't even expecting God to rescue him. So he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Because I'm about to die here. And then he says this. He fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Which are two of the things Jesus prayed when he was on the cross. So how in the world do you have the kind of perspective that instead of being angry or bitter with God, because I'm doing good things here, God, and you know, I'm, I'm doing everything that you would want me to do. Why wouldn't you answer my prayer? Why wouldn't you rescue me? Instead of doing that, it's almost like Stephen goes, no, 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 I've got a totally different perspective. I'm taking the long view here. So God, you just take my spirit and you forgive them for killing me. It's just so strange, isn't it? Luke continues, and he says, when Stephen had said this, he fell asleep. Which was the first century version of he died. But the reason they often referred to it as they fell asleep is because these early Christians, and this was a brand new belief. We don't have time to talk about this today, but this was brand new for them. But these early followers of Jesus had realized, because Jesus had taught them this, that when somebody died, well, their soul didn't die, just their body. And they believed one day because of Jesus' resurrection and what he had taught that those physical bodies were going to be resurrected. So they had this unique, different way of talking about death now. They're like, oh, it's not final. It's just temporary. He fell asleep. One day his body will be resurrected. That's a whole conversation for another day. But the reality is, for that moment in time, Stephen dies. It's over. There is no comeback. There are no answered prayers. There is no miracle. It's just over. 
So what do you do when you find yourself in one of those situations? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation where a loved one, or maybe it's you, is told, there's nothing else we can do for you. We're going to make you as comfortable as possible. There's nothing else we can do. And you've been praying and praying and praying. And you're like, they're such a good person, you know. Or, I thought God was involved. Where is he in the middle of this? Because they're dying way too young. What do you do in those moments where you're just heartbroken because the dream dies, the prayers go unanswered? What do you do when you find yourself navigating a separation that ends up in a divorce, but you're still praying and you're still hoping and you think, oh, yeah, God's going to bring us back together one day, and then you realize, nope. They're marrying them instead. This is never getting back together. What do you do in those moments when you prayed and prayed and prayed and you thought you were doing the right thing, but God doesn't answer? What do you do when you're in you know, financial trouble and you're praying and praying and praying and then one day it's like it's over, you know, and they're taking the house or they're taking the whatever. You're like, I'm never going to recover from this. Those moments when you felt like, I don't know what else I could have done and I don't understand why God wouldn't help me here. How do you navigate through all that? That's where the early followers of Jesus are at this moment. And to make matters worse for them, there are people cheering their suffering. There are people cheering on their persecution. Luke tells us, here's that guy again. And Saul approved of their killing Stephen. And it unleashed a whole season of suffering on these early Jesus followers. Luke says, as he continues on, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, all these believers. And all except the apostles were scattered, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So imagine this. You've been so excited because you physically saw Jesus alive after he was crucified, or you have friends, family, you know somebody who did. Everything seems to be going great. And then all of a sudden, you know, after the church, this movement has grown and grown and grown, and so many people are believing, it's so exciting. Then all of a sudden, a persecution breaks out against you to such an extreme that you have to pack up in the middle of the night and bolt to save your life and go to a place maybe you've never been, start a life all over again. Imagine what that must have felt like. Your whole world just got turned upside down in a moment. You know they were sitting there going, I don't get it. I don't get it. Where's God in the middle of all this? Why isn't he stepping in and doing something? Why would he let all of this happen? to us but what they did not understand in the moment because none of us can have good perspective in the moment can we what they did not understand was that God had not abandoned them he was not absent he was active in the middle of it all what they didn't understand is they actually weren't losing God was at work in the middle of their loss I'll give you a couple examples one of the things that came out of this moment that Stephen couldn't have possibly known as he was breathing his last breath, that those early Jesus followers couldn't have known as they scurried out of town in the cover of darkness, they couldn't have known that this one moment, as they had to spread all over that region, would actually take the message of Jesus, which had only been centered in Jerusalem and had never really left, and that it would ignite a new wave of growth among the early church as tens of thousands of people, some who were not Jewish, began to understand the message of Jesus and accept it. They had no idea. In the middle of this pain, God was going to use that and do something to help a lot of other people experience his forgiveness and grace. And they couldn't have possibly understood that this young guy by the name of Saul, who's standing over on the side cheering while Stephen is stoned, I mean, how cold-hearted do you have to be to cheer on 
the execution of someone. But that guy who then became the chief persecutor who drove all of this persecution over the next several months, they had no idea that that guy would eventually have an encounter directly with Jesus and he would switch teams. He would switch sides. He would become known by his more common name, Paul, the Apostle Paul. And that that guy who watched Stephen die with such dignity, that guy who watched Stephen die with such forgiveness and with no bitterness, that guy who watched Stephen handle his loss so well, well, that guy was eventually responsible more than any other person in the first century for taking this message of Jesus to the entire known world. And you can make a compelling argument that we're sitting here today because of Paul who started out cheering the execution of Stephen. Now, I'm not saying that God made all of that happen. I'm not saying that God created all this persecution that was all part of God's plan and God's will. Sometimes you hear people say that, don't you? You hear people say, oh, it's just all part of God's plan. And you're wondering, how could God let that happen? How could he plan for this to happen to that person? I was listening this week to uh, our Behind My Journey podcast where we interview different people in the church and they share their story. And Ryan Walker was on there and I didn't ask if I could share this, but he put it on podcast. So I'm sure it's okay, right? So, so Ryan is talking about a season that he and Ashley went through where they lost a child. It was an incredibly painful season and their faith through that was extraordinarily inspiring in the middle of all the pain. But as he was talking about that, he said something. I actually paused it and rewound it and listened to it again. I was like, that is such a healthy perspective. Ryan said, I, when people say it was all God, part of God's plan, he said, I, I just look at it differently. He said, I don't think it was actually part of God's plan. I don't think God wanted us to lose a child any more than we wanted to lose a child. And I was like, that's it. That's true. Because we live in a broken world. So listen, all the things that happen to you, they're not part of God's plan because our sin has broken this world. There are lots of things that happen in the world that aren't part, part of God's plan. He didn't design the world for us to experience a lot of the stuff we experience. I was like, Ryan understands it. But at the same time, as Ryan's sharing his story, he's the first to say, but you know, God took that pain. He took that loss. He didn't plan it. He didn't want it any more than we did, but he did use it. And that's what I hope if you're in the middle of one of these seasons, you walk away with. What you're going through, God may hurt and agonize over it just as much as you do. He's not any happier about it than you are. But it's a consequence of living in a broken world. And yet, at the same time, this is what I love. At the same time, at the same time, God does not waste your pain. This is where I find so much hope. You may have a dream die, and your prayer may never get answered, and you may be in a season with your kid or, you know, with yourself or, you know, with your family where it never gets better. This is just what it is. There is no comeback. There is no miracle. There's just a loss. But God will not waste that pain. He will step in, and he will bring good out of the bad. He will redeem that pain for something positive. So if you're in the middle of one of these seasons, here's all I want you to remember. You can be used even when you lose. You can. You can be used just like Stephen was, even when you lose. But I'll tell you, and this is, this is the part that's tough. How you live as you lose determines how much you can be used. Let me say that again. How you live as you lose, what's going to determine how much you can be used. Imagine if Stephen, instead of having the perspective he had had, imagine if he'd become bitter, if he'd become angry, if he'd have 
denounced God and walked away. Well, he had no idea because of the way he handled it, the influence he had on the people who were there, especially a young guy named Saul. He had no idea. It's the way you live. It's the way I live. As we lose, it determines how much we can be used. You know this. I don't have to tell you. You, you choose just to embrace bitterness and resentment and anger, frustration, and not move beyond any of that. You're not going to have a positive impact on anything. But you live the right way. You respond the right way. You fight through all of that. And God says, I will take this and use it for something good. So if you're in the middle of one of these seasons, and unfortunately I know some of you are, I just want to give you a simple prayer to pray that hopefully will help you live the right way as you're losing, as hard as that may be. The prayer is simply this. Father, remove it. There's nothing wrong with being optimistic. There's nothing wrong with asking for it. God, I wish you'd change this. Father, remove it. But most of all, use it. Most of all, use it. If you will pray this prayer, and you may have to pray this prayer a thousand times, but if you will pray this prayer, let me tell you what it will do. It will simply make you aware of your reaction and your responses in the middle of suffering and loss. That's what it will do. It will remind you, wait a minute, there's more riding on this than I can see or than I realize. Imagine, I mean, you have no idea if you're in the middle of it, but imagine the people that might be impacted by the way you respond to the pain, to the struggle, to the hits that you're experiencing right now. Because there are people watching. And you know how I know there are people watching? Because you watch people when they go through the middle of it, don't you? And you have been impacted by some people who went through pain and difficulty and they did it with such integrity, with such love, with such patience, with such compassion, with such forgiveness that you're like, oh my gosh, that's inspiring. You watch people when they do that. People are watching you. Imagine the impact you could have. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea who hangs in the balance of your response in the middle of your difficulty. And you have no idea how God's going to use it. You have no idea on the other side what blessing you might find that you just couldn't see in the middle of the pain. And again, you know this because you have gone through seasons where you got to the other side and you have said, I would never wish that on anybody. I wouldn't want anybody else to go through what I went through. But then you make this oddest statement. You say, but I'm so glad I went through it. You know people who've done this too, don't you? And you're like, I don't understand. But the reason is because they get to the other side and they're like, oh my goodness, what I, what I learned in the middle of this was worth all of the pain. So I want to encourage you, if you're in one of these seasons, just to pray this simple prayer. And before we wrap up today, I want to pray for you. And if you're not in one of these seasons right now, I want to encourage you, if you know somebody who is, take this moment to pray for them. Pray that God will remove it. But most of all, pray that they will have the strength or you will have the strength to be able to live well as you lose so God can use it. Let's pray together. Father, there is not a more hopeless feeling than when we hold on to a dream and we carry it for months, in some cases for years, and then we have to watch that dream die. There's nothing that feels more hopeless than praying and praying and praying and not losing faith that you can do something and then getting to the point eventually where we realize, yeah, he, you, God could, but God, God's not going to. 
And so for the people who are in the middle of those seasons right now, would you make your presence very real to them? First of all, just help them to know they're not alone. And God, would you encourage them? Would you give them strength? Would you give them perspective? Would you give them the ability to respond in their loss in such a way that they cooperate with you and let you use it? Thank you for being a God that's big enough, one that you will not abandon us in our loss, but also that you're a God who will take our loss and you'll turn it into something good. Thank you for bringing purpose to our pain. Thank you for not wasting the pain because there's nothing more hopeless than that. So help us hold on to that truth and believe it. And for those of us who have friends who are going through these seasons, help us to encourage them through it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with friends. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.